I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Hello. Hi. Welcome back to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the late 90s and early 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Emily. And I'm your other host, Margot. Well, Margo, I don't know about your house, but over here in my apartment, man, it's a hot one. Like seven inches from the midday sun, baby. I hate that I just said that. (laughs) Yeah, I don't really like you calling me baby. I just decided right now. (laughs) Yeah, I'll never do it again, ever. I promise. No, in this in this house, I am currently bumping Dua Lipa nonstop. That is what's playing in my house. Although, of course, for the purposes of this episode, there was a brief respite and, you know, step into a TARDIS back to the age of 1999. Excellent. Same here. It yeah, mostly. Sound- mostly it's just Dua Lipa. <laughs> <laughs> I feel and like having to explain to my husband the difference between a Dua Lipa song and a Doja Cat song, which is you know, take in some efforts. I mean, there's a lot there that I think the Who Weekly Facebook group has helped us in preparing people for those kinds of conversations. Uh, but yeah, it is it is a lot harder to try to explain those differences than one might think. 
Uh, well, today we're talking about some of the music videos that graced our TV screens in 1999. There was a time where it seemed like any genre could have a hit, which we talked a lot about in our Rolling Stone Top 99 Songs of 99 episode. New metal, Latin music, rap rock, which is kind of new metal's more acceptable cousin, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What are um, for you like? You know, one. What, what is the first kind of music video you think of when you think of 1999 music videos? I mean. We don't talk about it today because we've covered it sort of extensively, but it it's probably no scrubs. Oh yeah. Um and then I and probably like a couple of Sugar Ray music videos. Actually, honestly, I think the most embarrassing one is Lit. Lit had not the Pamela Anderson music video at the time, but the other one. Oh yeah, their my first oh, single and like yeah. their first single was like kind of a big deal to me for some fucking weird reason. Like I just chose like this band is like the band I'm going to stand super hard for no discernible reason. Like I guess just because they were on K Rock, I really could I mean, not that. truly tell you. But that music video kind of sticks with me along with No Scrubs because, it, uh, like we had talked about in the Y two K episode, it was extremely futuristic, but they were also very cool. And that album was huge, and I loved Crazy Sexy Cool and Fan Mail. So that music video definitely sticks out in my mind the most. But if you want to go like obscure and embarrassing, you know, you go lit. Oh, I mean, A Place in the Sun was an album that was a part of everyone's CD, wallet, Bible, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> back oh, my in God. The day. So, of course, everybody, because everybody's, you know, quarantined um, in my neighborhood, along with everybody taking up jogging, everybody is also currently spring cleaning their house. Oh, yeah. So the other day when I was walking my dog, I noticed that somebody had dumped two giant file boxes worth of cd gloves like the little zipper packets and sean my husband was like oh what's like because one of them was open he's like oh what's in that one any good stuff and the first thing i saw was hannah montana and then underneath jonas brothers like in the little um clear sleeve part yeah could can you believe but that's what they were getting rid of and the house on the corner near my near my apartment building Oh, and that kind of gives us an indication of like how old that person was, or it could be someone's parent. Like, or that's- the, I was going to say, it, it might have been their kids ha- who have moved on and moved out and are in college or post grad. Because yeah. there was also, uh, I'm, I'm sure you had to deal with this too, but my mom moved a little bit after I moved out to college. Yeah. And I basically had the you clean this out or I throw it out because I will not move this one more time. So I had to go through a lot of stuff and I still have crap at her place, but it's mostly like old yearbooks and notebooks and diplomas and shit. But I pared down quite a bit because I essentially had left my room as if I had disappeared and p- the police were still investigating oh, my disappearance because sure. I mean, everything the same was thing. pristine. I did it the was same so creepy. Thing. I, I think everybody does, right? Because well, you would be I, offended if they like turned it into an exercise room immediately, sure. which actually happened to my high school ex-boyfriend. His mom was a personal <laughs> trainer. And the second he moved away, she was like, I'm making this a gym. It was literally measuring shit as he's like packing out things. That's terrible. And it was sit, sit, well, she wasn't a very nice person, but that was like sitcom levels of comedy though happening. Okay. I feel like that was, yeah, for me, it, the final push really happened in the last couple of years because I moved to California. Um, I went to school about an hour south of my parents, so they didn't really force me until after college. So I did a bit of it after college, but really the final push was really the last couple of years when I'd come back uh, during the holidays. 
And I just got rid of like all the kind of young adult novels I wasn't going to read anymore. Got And the CDs are still in my parents' basement in like a bin with my sister's CDs. So I think maybe next time I'm there, whenever that will be given the state of affairs, I'm not really sure when, uh, I will probably get rid of the CDs. I don't really know what you do with them anymore because I, I guess they're like CD exchange places. But uh, I mean, well, I'll probably come don't. out of there with like two dollars. <laughs> well, you'd actually be surprised because after um, Sean's mom unfortunately passed and we were cleaning out her place, we went and got rid of a ton. I mean, he used to work at a radio station at a time of CDs, so there was just like a shit ton of CDs just scattered, hidden in closets and drawers and shit. Like that's the most fucked up thing about cleaning up a dead person's house is you never realize how many drawers are in a single home just jammed full of crap. You're like, why would anyone put this in here? But anyway, we had a giant stack of CDs and this was a time, this was, you know, four years ago. So this was before the mall apocalypse. So there was some sort of equivalent of the Burbank equivalent is Penny Lane, but some sort of like buyback CD place. And so we dropped off like a suit, an actual suitcase full of CDs and they gave us like 30 bucks. That's not bad. So that wasn't terrible. Yeah, for I, just a bunch of CDs. There weren't even DVDs, just CDs. No. Uh, so I'll definitely try that. It'd be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, the local one for me, which is the CD seller in Falls Church, Virginia. That's like the closest one of my parents. Um, one of the things I kind of kept thinking about while I was doing all the research for this episode was one, just how many CDs we all owned back then. But two, um, I kept coming back to this episode of Reply All that premiered maybe about a month ago at this point. Have you heard this? It's probably their most popular episode ever. It's about this like mysterious late 90s song that this guy knew all the words to but could find zero evidence that it existed yet knew every single word and it sounded like, you know, like a copy of One Week by Bare Naked Ladies. And slowly but surely they do all the research. They talk to Robert Criscow. They talk to um, what's his face from Rolling Stone um, who wrote the night, Rob Sheffield. And eventually they actually find out who this guy was and it was like this very, very minor hit in certain regions. Um, and this guy had very little backing on his album after the song became a hit. But uh, it was very interesting. I highly recommend everyone who listens to this episode, check out that episode. It's like a perfect 1999 song in a nutshell. Well, I also feel like it doesn't take much to also make a music video. No. Uh, And I think, I mean, as evidenced by our beloved Tiger King, um, all you really need is a vague concept and a camcorder. But I also feel like 99 was really the era where music videos had sort of peaked. I One of the music videos on my list has like the highest budget of all time or like one of the highest budgets of all time. Me too. Me too. Yeah. And um, it's kind of crazy. It was like back when record labels really cared because I think what's interesting is like the fad lasted till about, you know, an economic crash in like 2008. And, you know, in the years prior, I finished college and a lot of friends kind of found an in directing music videos for like zero money. But that was how you kind of built your reel. So it's interesting because we all kind of had the same music video influences. Some of them I talk about here that I don't think we'll ever kind of com- will be able to compare with this time period because it feels like it's a bygone era. For sure. And I feel Especially like nobody the cares tra- about music videos that much no, anymore. I mean, no, I don't they, even really no watch does. them at all. No I have a question. I mean, what was the last music video you watched all the way through? 
Heim, actually. Is it I, I, it's probably, it no, no, it's all the Heim music videos because I always like those. A lot of them were Paul Thomas Anderson directed, um, which is interesting because, oh, right, yeah. yeah, he, I feel like um, that's another thing that I was gonna, just about to bring up was uh, a lot of these directors who direct these videos that are, we're going to talk about um, got in started their careers directing music videos and then became these like big budget film directors like the Brent Ratners, the McGee's, the Hype Williams, so on and so forth. Um, it's interesting. I don't, you know, there's still people who have it that was trajectory not, today, but it's it not, was not an, uh, an uncommon thing. Exactly. Well, it exactly. It, it was much more common. It was, it was sort of like, you used to have to make a short film in order to sort of get a foot in the door. And then it became sure. music videos. And now I'm not really quite sure what it is, but that was the that was kind of the trend. Cause it, I also find record release schedules and singles being released all sort of they there is no protocol anymore. It used to be like you have a big video come out, then you have the single come out, and yeah. then you have the album come out. And now it's much more fragmented, especially with streaming. And so sometimes, especially with like Beyonce who sort of changed everything when she just had like an entire visual album and you know for sure. No shade to Beyonce, but also like Beck did a very similar thing where you could only watch the music videos if you bought the fucking C D because it came with the DVD on it. And that was sort of a trend for a while, too. So it's just sort of interesting because this was truly the apex where they were like, yes, this is how you do it. And everybody had like, you know, a sketch or these like seven minute music videos where there would be like an interlude in the middle of it where they like have they basically like act out like a short one act play in the middle of it. And you're like, what the fuck? Just like there were skits. I hate it. Skits in rap albums. You're like, I'm so glad they don't really do that anymore because it was always kind of jarring. Yeah, I also I'm remember say it. Yeah, well, I also remember there is a kind of interesting thing is like, I think some music videos that are funny will still have plots. But the yeah, the concept of a plot in a music sure. video, not as much of a thing anymore. But right? it's interesting to go back and revisit these music videos. Just the four that I got had very different spec. The spectrum was from like, zero plot to complete plot. It's very interesting to see where these lie, where there's one, there's like clearly a defined plot, like Mariah Carey's video, clearly a defined plot. We know what's going on. And then there's like sort of a plot in the Limp Bizkit land and Ricky Martin, but not really. Like it's it's interesting who decides they're going to have like a full-fledged little movie and who is going to be like, yeah, we'll kind of introduce elements here, but we're going to leave a lot unexplained because we don't really care. Mariah loves to act. And I think that especially from that era between Butterfly and Rainbow, all of her music videos had like a plot that was on par with like a Scorsese or like a rom-com because it had like twists and turns and she plays her double and all of this other stuff. And even just like Honey, you know, she's a spy and there's like this whole fucking three minute intro with not Jermaine Dupri. Is it Cat Williams? I think it is Cat Williams. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, I know you'd be like, what the fuck? And like the guy from Reservoir Dogs is in it too. You're like, it's like Harvey Keitel. And then it gets, yeah. And then she ends up on like an island with just like her dog and then a random stud, like not even like an actor. You're like, so you spent all of your money on Cat Williams? Anyway, it is. Well, I love personally, I think um, the Coen brothers stole stole from her in the honey video the coen brothers stole from her because she has those little sailors dancing with her and then yep. that big sailor dance thing from um oh caesar or hail caesar i don't know that was the first thing i thought when i saw that movie so i feel like this is a good transition into me talking about mariah carey's music video um just because like yeah. 
in terms of the budgets, they are the like well, I don't on that. It yeah. was Mariah's birthday. Yesterday, it was Mariah two days ago. Friday. Or, I'm sorry, not her, bir- not Mariah, her birthday. Her anniversary. Mariah it's shares. Her anniversary. Mariah shares a birthday. Um, with my no, mom. it's an anniversary. Didn't you hear me? No, it's an oh. anniversary. It's not a birthday. <laughs> don't you dare! She will sue us. We can't get sued by her. Mariah's anniversary, anniversary. is on. March 27th, which is my mom's birthday and my best friend from high school, also Melanie's birthday. Also anniversary. <laughs> also, also anniversaries. You have to just use so it for all of them. The anniversary. They well, all you know three share. That she's, Mariah says that she's eternally 12, which kind of always makes me a little bit uncomfortable. I mean, but. uncomfortable, but also makes sense with the titles of almost all her albums. Daydream, Heart Like Rainbow, Butterfly. Uh, like me, this me equals MC squared. Excuse me. Anso- the emancipation of Mimi. I mean, it sounds like a twelve-year-old just learned a, I, a, a vocabulary really word. Oh, charm box. Is that the other one? Uh, yeah, no, I think you're right. I think you're on to something with the exception of E equals MC squared. I think that all of the other ones, you can make an argument that they are named by her atten- eternally 12-year-old self. And I kind of love that. Rainbow. Rainbow. I where she has in rainbow superimposed on her <laughs> top. <laughs> uh, but anyway, the hit single from Rainbow um, was Heartbreaker, which I'm going to talk about today. That was released on September 21st, 1999 by Columbia Records as the lead single from the seventh studio album Rainbow. Song was written by Mariah Carey and Jay-Z and is produced by Carey and DJ Clue and samples the song Attack of the Name Game by Stacey Ladislaw. Heartbreaker chopped the Canadian singles chart and the U.S. Billboard Hot 100, becoming Carey's 14th U.S. number one hit. And I forget, like, even at 96, she was able to release a number one uh, greatest hits album. Like, I think that was like 96, 97, the number ones album came out. I mean, that's pretty incredible. I think it was sort of so she could, I think that's around the time she leaves uh, Tommy Mottola and all that. And I think that's why she did that. But I, to me, it's pretty incredible that in like seven, first seven years of her career, she was able to get so many number one songs. Well, that's why she's the one with the most number one hit singles. But I think you are right about the timing. I think it was around the album before Rainbow, um, Honey. Honey, yeah. Um, that Or I'm sorry, Butterfly that had Butterfly. Honey on it. That was like yes. her first post-breakup album. I think um, you're right, yeah. And, oh, shit. Oh, but I am just most stunned by the fact that Rainbow is her seventh album because she was like, I don't know, 30. Like, right, and <laughs> not, not to even. mention the album is 21 years old. That is bonkers to me. This song was actually originally intended to be included on the Glitter soundtrack. But was included, Ooh. yeah, included on Rainbow due to movie production delays, which, like, thank God, because Rainbow well, is a great I mean, album. Thank God. Time- Glitter is a terrible movie. And also movie. 9-11. No, yeah. it's not even – Glitter's actually amazing. It's more of the fact that it got completely fucked over because of – well, I mean, not to, like, downplay a national tragedy, but it, it happened to, unfortunately, coincide with 9-11. So not only was it just sort of – it wasn't able to be appreciated for the camp and humor that it was because – 
the nation was, you know, dealing with an unprecedented act of terrorism. So nobody was really trying to find the humor in it. And then to make matters worse, now that everybody is able to laugh, you can't really find it anywhere because she essentially stricken it from the record because it was such a fucking flop. And she got so much flack from critics for it. So and it's felt- unfortunate all around. But thank God Heartbreaker is not on the Glitter soundtrack. Yeah. Well, not to mention, like, this is also around the time where Mariah... I think had a breakdown uh, with when it's right around the time of glitter, right? And she where yes. she showed up. This on is when she came on TRL, TRL with just a T-shirt, and then she also did her MTV yeah. Crids episode where she's in the bathtub. Oh, okay, I know, which but is that's like also a great episode. It's a who, great episode. No, no, no. Who, who knew? knew that she a loved room. Hello Kitty? All of the Hello Kitty stuff that she had everywhere. She did have a lot, and of that Hello she also Kitty loved stuff. Jack Russell Terriers. I mean, like I knew she had some, but I didn't know she had like you know a fondness for the breed. It was just, I mean, her place is epic. So, she and is. all of her shoes. Oh my God, her closet. The music video for Heartbreaker is directed by Brett Ratner. Ugh. As many of you know, Ratner is they known are for friends, which is weird. It's so weird. It's just as weird as Andy Cohen and John Mayer being friends. I'm like, I don't understand this. I, I don't either. It's known for, uh, Ratner's obviously known for director, directing the Rush Hour movies and several music videos, including Christmas and Hollis by Run DMC, which is his first music video. That's what Ratner gets on the video uh, circuit with, is with Christmas and Hollis by Run DMC, Brown Sugar by D'Angelo, and oh, several Just a quick question. Videos. Wait, how did, he, how did he get those two videos? What? I know that is so, wild. I didn't I'm know that. I'm picking a few, and I'm just I just picked a few from the list. It was a very long list of R. Yeah, but I feel like you picked the the most head scratchingest ones because I handle I know I thought they were very interesting. <laughs> he obviously directed okay, several more okay. videos <laughs> as their friends, including I Still Believe, Thank God I Found You, which was with Joe in 98 Degrees, We Belong Together, Touch My Body, etc., etc. Basically, uh, most of our videos after Touch 1999. Um, it oh. remains one of the most expensive Wait, what music year videos. Did Rush Hour come out? Um, that's like 98, 99. So he, the first one comes okay. out. Yeah, I think it's 98 or 99. I can't remember which one. I'm just trying one. to picture like the timeline. And then, oh, right. I mean, that explains all sort of like the slapsticky comedy that goes on. For throughout. sure. Well, this is also there's one like a of the reference in, in uh, uh, Heartbreaker. This is also one of the best making the video episodes oh, of all sure. time. Yes. Yes. It's Still, I, I can't even remember the music video without watching making oh. the video. Like it's just, it was. You're I totally watched right. The, the karate scene, yeah, in the bathroom. I totally yeah. forgot so about I'll that. Talk, and I'll talk about that. But yeah, it, it's um very much. It's interesting. Like there's a lot of the same like campy martial arts movie feel that Rush Hour has. That's in this video as well. It remains one of the most expensive music videos ever made, costing over two point five million dollars. And the video is filmed at the Los Angeles Theater in downtown LA on July 30th through August 1st, 1999. The video began airing on August 16th on MTV following its premiere on that Making the Video episode. I'm going to go into the plot oh, because yeah. they used guys- to do that all of the time, all the time. was to go straight from a music, straight from a Making the Music video into a, a TRL and premiering yep. it. I mean, For it's sure. genius. They it's should brilliant. do that more often. Why don't they do that? I, but I think that takes, the, among other things, like the just all of us are now on the internet, like 
there's there's part of that allure that has been taken away from music videos, like the idea of a premiere and that kind of thing. You just MTV doesn't show music videos anymore, so there isn't this like platform to premiere a music video. It's very very different. Whereas like before, this was an event. Like I remember the making the video episode would premiere, and then you'd get to see this music video, like Bootylicious and Survivor by Destiny's Child. I remember those episodes just as vividly as Heartbreaker. Um, but yeah, it's not really an event anymore. So. I'm going to dive into this plot because, of course, this music video is iconic. The video features blonde Mariah Carey and her friends visiting a movie theater and catching her boyfriend, played by Jerry O'Connell, on a date with another woman, played by brunette Mariah Carey. The brunette Ver- Mariah, our villainess, is named Bianca. So now I'm going to go into this deep dive. The video's plot goes like this. She and her friends show up to a movie theater, which is actually the theater in downtown L.A., When they get there, they're like, so your boyfriend, Jerry O'Connell, is in there with another woman. Then some great dance routines start up in the lobby with the concession workers with Mariah front and center. Her girlfriends then join in as backup dancers. She and her friends then enter the theater where Jerry O'Connell and Bianca, a.k.a. Brunette Mariah, are supposedly sitting. They spot him and strategically sit a few rows back where they throw popcorn at them. We then see every time he tries to kiss her, Brunette Mariah, she makes Jerry O'Connell kiss her Pomeranian. And this is when, like, dogs start showing up in the music videos. Then during Jay-Z's rap, we see a cartoon on the screen where cartoon Mariah and her friends are doing all the things he describes. So prior to filming the video, it became clear that Jay-Z would be unable to appear in the video due to this contractual agreement that didn't allow him from appearing in a video for two weeks after he shot the video for girl's best friend his track off the soundtrack to the movie blue streak which i had forgotten about the movie blue streak until just now i was gonna say who the fuck cares about blue streak now absolutely no one so he made the right choice eventually when that bad boys third movie came out i think last summer or last fall everyone was like what has martin lawrence even been up to like i think there was blue streak bad Bad boys Boys, bad boys for life no for life currently bad now bad boys, it's bad boys now. for life. Bad boys it's for bad life. It's bad boys be old. <laughs> but I feel like after Big like Mama's house, I'd never seen them. Yeah. I feel like they screwed themselves calling the third one bad boys for life because obviously bad boys for life should have been the fourth one. It should have been like still bad boys or something for the third one. Well, All I'm saying is that they really kind of bad boys. the opportunity there. They're opening themselves up for bad boys generations, where then a new generation of bad boys teams up with the well, old Vanessa generation. Vanessa Hudgens is apparently like Martin Lawrence's daughter. Or, wait, no, not Vanessa Hudgens. Someone else is Martin Lawrence's daughter. And then she is a baby, like in the third one. I haven't seen it, but I've been told all the plot points. Anyway, so you're <laughs> correct in your suspicion that they could open it up, save, it, save the bell cast style and do like the next class or Degrassi, I guess. Not say by the bell. But anyway. The new bad That's boys. That's what's happening. Blue streak. Who fucking cares about blue streak when you've got Bianca? So Jay-Z and Mariah Carey managed to film a scene for the video, which was briefly documented in that making the video episode. But the documentary edited Jay-Z out of the footage to focus on Carey as to not violate that contractual agreement. So then um, he shows up in a remix of the video. Um there, because there are two versions, and this original version though is the one where Carrie had thought about creating the animated section um, in the video. Which personally, I actually like that version better because Mariah Carey looks like one of those cartoon girls that were filmed in that were on the limited two T-shirts at the time, and she also kind of looks like it's like Fran Drescher, the nanny opening a little bit. Um, 
And it's a really good or cartoon the, segment. The Lizzie McGuire, the Lizzie McGuire animated character too. Yeah, a it little was bit. in that style that was so popular at the time. There's a moment where they point out her mom's house in the animation when Jay-Z raps. That's when I got to send her back to her mom. And they even offer a translation for the word skio, which means pigeon or, according to Urban Dictionary, a female with a usually hoish tendency. Like, this was great. I enjoyed this so much more than the version with Jay-Z. Like, I love Jay-Z, but this is way better. Then it's time for the bathroom showdown. Brunette Mariah goes to the bathroom and blonde Mariah's friends convince her to follow. She then confronts Brunette Mariah, which is when Brunette Mariah hits Blonde Mariah. A fight ensues, which is supposed to be an homage to Enter the Dragon, complete with martial arts fighting and Bruce Lee-like moves. Then Brunette Mariah tries to lock herself into a bathroom stall, and when Blonde Mariah busts in, we see an older woman using the bathroom, and Brunette Mariah has snuck into the next door stall, attacking Blonde Mariah from behind. And it's like this great minute and a half segment. Um, Meanwhile, Brunette Mariah Bianca has popcorn in her hair the whole time, which I'm like, continuity, baby. Like, this is better continuity than plenty of movies I've ever seen. Meanwhile, wasn't that that also a plot point in the episode where they had like glued the popcorn into the wig or something? I I think you're right. Had like a discussion about how to like just keep it in there. And so, yeah, that's why the continuity is so good. No one had to remember to put it back. (laughs) One compliment I can give Brett Ratner. (laughs) Meanwhile, or his. Or his AD or his supervisor who probably thought about it. That's true. Meanwhile, back in the theater, there were a version of Grease is playing on the screen with Mariah as Rizzo during the Look at Me, I'm Sandra D number. Mariah's friends are still throwing food. How iconic. A movie within a movie. And then her mind. I mean, brilliant, visionary. And meanwhile, in that scene, you know how in Greece, uh, when they're doing that scene in the bedroom, there's like all of um, the posters of like all these like 1950s hotties in the background. One of them is a photograph of like a greaser, Jerry McConnell. And I was like, oh, my God, Mariah, too brilliant. Well done. Props. So Jerry O'Connell during this time, by the way, is wearing a UCLA shirt. I just wanted to point that out. No other reason. Just like I thought that was funny. At one point, Blonde Mariah came out of the bathroom victorious because she comes back at the end of the video to surprise Jerry O'Connell and pour a Coke on his crotch. Well done, Mariah. We salute you. Just an iconic video all around. I have nothing else to say, really. I mean, anytime you involve choreography with like theater concession workers, you have me on board. The end. I'm pretty sure the concession worker dance is another dance along with the slave for you one, obviously. And bye, bye, bye that I learned with one of my friends because that's just what you did in 1999 to pass the time. I actually (laughs) might bust out some old 90s choreography to pass the time while we're holed up in here. Who knows? There's so much time. Anything could happen. Do you remember Darren's dance group? I'm sure someone has Everybody remembers. Someone has ripped it and put it on YouTube. (laughs) I guarantee, I don't think, this is much like, you know, I don't know off the top of my head how to take off my gel manicure, but I know if I Google it, a thousand search things will come up. That's how I feel about Darren's dance grooves. I don't know for a concrete fact at this moment that it's currently on YouTube, but I feel like the second that I Google it, I will get a ton of hits. But yeah, that's how I also learned the bye, bye, bye dance so that I could audition to be in the talent show in my middle school, which I did not get into. Don't worry. It doesn't affect me at all. I just have a podcast now, so that'd be a warning to educators. 
<laughs> Let the weirdos have their weird little dance or else yeah. they might torture you the podcast at some other point in time. I did call out a girl who bullied me in seventh grade on one of our episodes because it tied into Christina Aguilera. So I agree. You know, we're all just processing and sitting with ourselves and reflecting. And, you know, I made myself a tequila soda before this episode. So anyway, we're going to talk about the Buster Rhymes music video that I weirdly, just very weirdly, I was taking an online workout class this morning. And one of the songs that we worked out to was what's it going to be? And I thought it was extremely serendipitous. And I'm not like one to like believe in signs, but I was like, what are the odds? And I thought to myself, slim. But then I thought about the choreographer and I was like, well, this is probably around the time that she was like, you know, dancing in clubs and shit. So she probably has a fondness for this song, but so do I. And I especially have a fondness for this music video, which is why I picked it. What's It Gonna Be was directed by Buster Rhymes and Hype Williams, and it was a critically acclaimed music video, mostly because of like the special effects. It was, you know, outside of big budget um, feature-length films, there weren't music videos like this that were utilizing this level of after effects on things. And this smoothly, to have it like look so good was kind of a big deal. This music video was so iconic that it was nominated for four MTV Music Video Awards in 1999, and it was also one of the most expensive music videos ever made. I think it's somewhere, I saw some estimates as low as 2.4, but also as high as $4 million. So who knows, especially with special effects in 1999, now of course it's super easy, like you and I could hypothetically, I mean you are confident in Photoshop, so I feel like there's a good <laughs> chance that we could... It's so much easier now, obviously, to like just, you know, animate some shit. But like in 99, you probably had to use an entire team of post effects people in some like post effects house in Canada or whatever to animate all this stuff. So before I get into the video itself, a bit of background on the song. This is the third single off of Busta's ELE, which stands for Extinction Level Event, colon, the final world front. <laughs> when I saw that, I was like, hmm, that's an extremely long name for an album. It reached, this single reached number three on the Billboard Hot 100 and was also number one on the Billboard Hot Rap Tracks and on the hip hop singles and on the hip hop singles tracks as well. It was nominated for a Grammy for Best Rap Performance Duo or Group at the 2000 Grammys as well. But in his previous music videos, Busta had always amped up the comedic side of himself rather than to, like, go into, like, the Lenny Kravitz sex symbol kind of arena. But that all changed once he got Janet Jackson to agree to a collaboration with this song. After Janet Jackson told New York DJ Angie Martinez that she actually wanted to work with Busta, he got their managers to put them in touch, and Busta was able to play the track for her. She obviously agreed, and this is what Busta said led to one of the, quote, most historical moments of his career. And he was obviously referencing the What's It Gonna Be music video. Busta had worked with Hype Williams before on Dangerous and Put Your Hands Where My Eyes Can See, which were all ahead of their time technically and conceptually. But with Janet in the midst of her sexy velvet rope phase, they saw an opportunity to push the envelope in a different way. The video premiered March 12th, 1999. And it was, as I said, one of the most expensive music videos at the time with a budget of over $2 million. It swelled in large part because of the extensive special effects. The video is all sexual innuendo based on the song's lyrics and themes, starting with Busta transforming into a knight from a spilled glass. Janet is dressed as a dom in a purple latex dress adorned with, and I didn't know this as a child, cock rings. What? Busta and backup dancers. Yes, Wait, that's what? what, that's what most, 
Okay, so you know the little rings that line yes. her, the front of her dress? Yes, they remember that this. Those are all cock. Those are cock rings. Wow. I guess they were different. The rings on her nails are different, but I guess on the front of the dress, that was like meant to be known that those are cock rings. I I read a couple of different articles that mentioned that specifically. And again, I mean, sure, I didn't know that as a child, but I also didn't know that as an adult. So (laughs) there's, had no clue. I found that out today. Once again, this podcast teaches me things that I didn't even know I needed to learn. Busta and backup dancers also morph into like wet and wild creatures that could be literal or figurative sperms on the loose. Obviously, the style of video is the second biggest thing that you remember after the groundbreaking effects. And I just want to shout out June Ambrose, who put Jada Jackson in the iconic dominatrix outfit because she was the costume designer. So here are some personal thoughts because I rewatched this music video immediately after hearing it in that workout class. O-Town's Liquid Dreams is Def the Kids Bop version of this song and music video. (laughs) That makes perfect sense. If you agree. Clap Clap. if you agree. (laughs) And in case you were worried, yes, this song and video are just as horny as you remember. The first shot of Janet's face is mostly her cleavage. I feel like Stefan, again, describing this video. Janet is dressed like Halle Berry's character in Baps if she were a dominatrix. Busta leads a liquid marching band. He cosplays as Lenny Kravitz and turns himself into little raindrops that shower down on Janet Jackson. Busta basically becomes of the liquid version of those sand snakes from Beetlejuice 2. That's, That's actually very review. accurate. I have never yeah, before heard he that turns into, but so well, it was the accurate. first thing that you can see. Yeah, because when he like goes through like the hallways and he like makes his way into let's say the main performance area where Janet is, he looks like one of those little beetle juicy sand snaky things. So, liquidification. But he transforms. He transforms into like a knight, and he turns into like a marching band leader, and then at the end. Because, like, the liquid, you know, they're liquid. They're all sort of, like, inside each other. Like, he and Janet sort of, like, morph together. And, again, it reminds me of that story I told a couple weeks ago on the pod about, you know, (laughs) that sex ed thing where we all, like, put our poured stuff into each other's glasses to, like, get STDs. That's sort of what, like, him morphing with Janet felt like a little bit. There was a part. But sorry, you were going to ask something. No, I was going to say in the late 90s, early 2000s, liquefaction was this huge thing. Like, this happened in a lot of things I watched. Like, do you remember that TV show on Nickelodeon that was called The Secret World of Alex Mack? Of course I do, Emily. I love that show. Baby Marissa Elena. Fish as a preteen to dissolve into a puddle and disappear. That's still my greatest wish. It it is for me too. That is a superpower that really ranks up there for me. But um, and of course the iconic hat wardrobe that Larissa Olenek wore on that show. But anyway, I'm realizing (laughs) now so many hats. I I mean, she was like second to none to blossom. And Steve Harwell and Smash Mouth. Like, really, these are the people I think of (laughs) when I think of bucket hats. And Cisco. Cisco had a lot of bucket hats. He did have a lot. He did have quite a few. I think he was one of the first to bring back the Kangol Terry cloth one that LL Cool J had once popularized. So um, That is is true, yes. (laughs) I I remember a spring break special with him wearing a Kangol hat and being like, do I want that hat? Or do I just think it's cool? I did buy a baby pink Kangol beanie at one point in high school because I thought that was where it was at. (sighs) I was terrified for a second that you were going to say recently, so at least it's in the past and it's behind us. No, 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 no. I was 15. we can move forward. (laughs) (laughs) But that's all I have for Buster Rhymes and Janet Jackson. I highly recommend a rewatch of that music video if you haven't seen it. I feel like 
uh, I can't believe I brought it, I didn't bring it up for the Y2K episode because I feel like it's the most Y2K video there oh, was sure. in 99. For sure. There's a part of it. I mean, I know that it perceive it's bef- I think in one of the articles that I read about the music video, I think the Matrix was maybe like two weeks to a month away from hitting theaters. But there's so much about the aesthetic of that video that kind of tracks with the Matrix. And I just think you can chalk it up to a 1999 cultural aesthetic in general of that's where everybody thought the future was going to go. But nobody thought we'd be quarantined into our homes. So nobody made a music video about that. I'm doing great. I'm doing fantastic. We are vibing over here. Um, I'm going to go. (laughs) I'm going to go to the opposite of the spectrum here and go into Nookie by Limp Biscuit. Well, again, another foretelling of our future state. I mean, I will not go into it too much here because I really wanted to. I would love. I just want to tell you that I did. I just want to tell you that I did end up watching Fred Durst's directorial debut, Fanatic, with John Travolta. Yes. Oh, my. So we tried to watch it over – we took, like, a trip over New Year's, and we tried to watch it with our friends because, you know, we're we're accustomed to watching bad movies. But it was unfucking bearable And then this great podcast, Flophouse, watched it because we didn't finish it because there was – it was, like, too violent and made too little sense. (laughs) We're like, what is going on? Uh, I know that we've, like, had seven bottles of wine, but it's still very confusing. Using. Yes. But Flophouse goes on to essentially reaffirm that it is bad and Fredder should feel bad about well, it. It's, it's strange, funny. It's a strange pivot. You, it's funny you should bring that up because I found out, turns out, Fred Durst directed most of Limp Bizkit's music videos. <laughs> so that's where huh. he got his start. Yeah. I was like looking as we were doing, you know, I think earlier in this episode where you were talking, I just wanted to Google really quickly because I was the only one I didn't have a director for. And then I was like, oh, that's Fred Durst. And guess what? He directed most of the Limp Bizkit music videos. So I was very surprised, but makes a lot of sense checks out and actually i have to say that like i will give durst the credit that like you can tell immediately the signature of a limbisca video not only because the band is in it but you have close-ups of west borland you always have someone dressed up like fred durst like it's not just fred durst dressing like fred durst it's always like some hot girl or a group of hot girls are dressed as fred durst maybe a little child is dressed as fred durst like there is a very, there is a very much like, and then a loose kind of plot in the background, but very, very, very loose. Like there's never a full fledged plot. But Nookie, I would love uh, to take this moment to also admit that I had a massive crush on Wes Borland, which is incredibly bizarre for even a middle schooler. So now that I've said it out loud, you know, just in case someone needs to know that, which I assure myself they don't, but this is where we are. I just had to get that out there since you mentioned his name because, yes, as soon as you said Nookie, the first flash in my brain was Wes Borland, like, doing weird Wes Borland-y things, like, on stage to the song. Someone in an article I read described him as looking like a monkey because he's just, like, his moves are very monkey-like in this particular music video. That coupled they, with his They are contacts, primal. He goes primal with his guitar. So primal along with his contacts. Like, it does kind of look like a baby monkey a little bit. <laughs> So I really wanted. It is unsettling. 
I really wanted to talk about break stuff, but that video came out in 2000. So um, when we do write the article for this particular episode, which you can check out on our Medium page, I will go into detail about how Limp Bizkit predicted coronavirus and gives us a fucking PSA in break stuff. But I digress. <laughs> I really cannot believe you've like put on your tinfoil hat for this theory. <laughs> Going full Alex Jones on Fred Durst lyrics. <laughs> He is a public health advocate, Margo. The real Florida man we deserve. <laughs> so he's video, our real Tiger King. He's our real Tiger King. So this music video was in fact directed by him, and he directed most of their videos. Um, when you go to his Wikipedia page, he is listed as American rapper, singer, songwriter, producer, guitarist, actor, film director, and tattoo artist. <laughs> Everyone needs to calm down who was writing that Wikipedia page. They I all need love, to take a breath. I love to find out who and avoid them at all costs. The video. Yes, let's <laughs> never meet those people, please. Whoever never. is like a moderator on the Limp Bizkit wiki play- page, please don't contact us. We don't want it. Oh. The video starts with back and forth footage of Fred Durst walking on the street alone and then a crowded Limp Bizkit performance. Durst starts singing the first verse while walking. Well, it's like rap singing anyway. He's walking through a city in a puffer jacket. Slowly, women who are not wearing any outerwear, so the contrast is very jarring, start following him one by one like he's some new metal Pied Piper. Instead of leading them into a river or a cave like rats and children, he leads them to a secret Limp Bizkit concert performance of the song in an alley. In the bridge, those chicks like... Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Who dress up like Fred Durst show up in the background and they're a common reoccurrence in all the Limp Bizkit videos. They're always wearing like a black tube top and then like baggy jeans or baggy khakis um, and then the red backwards Yankee cap. The Wait, band? they weren't Dickies? I thought they were Dickies. They are Dickies. You're right. You're right. They are Dickies. They are okay. Dickies. I just... <laughs> I've been, I definitely remember there was a point the blue asphalt at the mall like had run out of dickies because everybody was like in every, yeah. fucking crazy. You were definitely like a khaki dicky with a black tube Ugh. top. Yep. Yep. The band. Oh my God. I forgot the black tube top. Why? <laughs> the band allowed hundreds of fans to participate playing the song in front of a large crowd. All the guys went to one side of the stage and the girls on the other. And when Durst sang the chorus at certain parts, he would hold out his microphone to the crowd, getting that particular side to sing. This was, according to Durst, to show that, quote, guys go off hard, but girls go off even harder. 
Um, and then at the end, he gets arrested oh, and taken away. Is Fred Durst wearing a "That's what a feminist"? This is what a feminist looks like T-shirt underneath. Public All health of and clothes? feminism icon. <laughs> <laughs> the icon we deserve in these times. Uh, according to Wikipedia, quote: "The video was of the first in a concept video dealing with the premise." That Limp Biscuit were wanted and arrested for inciting the riots that plagued Woodstock 99, which does not check out from a timing standpoint because this music video was filmed before Woodstock 99. I did my like my research because I was curious. I was like, that doesn't make sense. And that's because but it is true that Limp Biscuit was a part of the uh, what started a bunch of violent rage, what have you what would you even call it? Like riots at the Woodstock 99 with like the mud people. This is like where angry oh white boys. Oh my God. Yeah. So yeah. that started I with it out them. Of my brain. Yeah. So because I, oddly, oh. until that, remember when they tried to resurrect Woodstock? Was it like last year or two years yeah, ago when it completely it flopped? It completely flopped. That took over my mind from yes. 99. So I've sure. forgotten about that. So, and I was actually really excited about the potential of it happening a year prior because that was the 50th anniversary because that's actually really really near in upstate New York. It's really near um, the place in Vermont where I spent my part of my summers as a kid. So I was like, oh, maybe I'll come check that out. It actually sounds like fun. But of course, then Fire Festival happened. And and then after that, this luckily didn't even get started because everyone had seen what happened with Firefest and the fact that they were confirming artists that had never even signed anything to perform at this was a shit show. But honestly, that is way better than Woodstock 99 where like really horrible things happened and it was just a reminder of like how horrible angry white dudes can be. Um, so the violent action started during that Saturday night performance of Limp Bizkit um, and they started tearing plywood from the walls during their performance of Break Stuff. And then unfortunately, several sexual assaults were also reported in the aftermath. And then there were fires. There were like these mud people who were just throwing things. And it just got super violent. Um, and then Fred Zerst said during the concert, quote, don't let anybody get hurt. But I don't think you should mellow out. That's what Alanis Morissette had you motherfuckers do. If someone falls, pick them up. I just like I'm so, you know, in some ways we've come so far as a society and then in others, <laughs> I feel like we're not that far from this. You know, Tiger King has taught me that these people are still out there. Two um, weeks strong and we're still talking about we're Tiger still King. talking about Tiger King. I, I mean, truly weird times. I'm sorry, but I'm still cackling at Cardi B saying, Carol, you think you slick, bitch? It's just... <laughs> Uh, according to the blog Kerrang, and I don't, I'm sorry if I mispronounced that, Durst ended up adopting the title of the song as something of a personal catchphrase, which I makes sense. Like, I remember he'd have so many interviews of MTV where he'd be like, well, I did it all for the nookie. And he even used it one time when he was criticized. <laughs> Is that your Durst impression? Yeah. All right. All right, baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's the beginning of, of Rowan, in case you didn't catch that. <laughs> No, it's not that voice. <laughs> it's like a little Hulk Hogan-y. All right, brother. Like I don't even. Right, just, let's just say 
It's as good as my Dom Toretto accent, which is not good. Some people say it sounds like Sylvester Stallone. I'm not going to be – look, I do a good Elizabeth Holmes. I don't do a good Fred Durst. My my impressions are are quality over quantity, and Durst will not be in my wheelhouse Mm -hmm. anytime soon. But he actually used that catchphrase one time when trying to defend his performance with Christina Aguilera. He was like, well – because a bunch of like other people criticized him, thinking he's like, quote, not hard enough for, because he performed with her. And he was like, well, I did it all for the nookie. Again, I'm so sorry. Um, and then she and then she responded and was just like, yeah, dude, that never happened. Uh, that's a complete lie. Right. Because there were all of those rumors that started afterwards being like, oh, he slept with her. It's like, no, he's just a dipshit. Like, he's there's just not a really dipshit. a ton, a ton of depth going on here. I uh, I don't really have anything else to say about this because I think I'm going to really deep dive into the life and times of Limp Bizkit uh, for our Medium article. So feel free to go into whatever video you'd like to go into. So I actually, most of my music videos are actually kind of short with the exception of uh, the Busta Rhymes one and then my J-Lo, If You Had My Love, which is coming up. So that's a nice little teaser. You know, they call that a little tease coming up. But tease. right now we're going to talk about... Bugaboo by Destiny's Child. This video, I rewatched it, obviously, you know, for research. And I know that the song wasn't like super popular, but for some reason, and I do talk about it, it does, the video looms larger than the actual songs. I had completely forgot how outdated every single reference that happens in this song. MC, MCI, like AOL, Pagers. Yep. yep. Did I say AOL? Because that was the that was the one that I was like, what? And then MCI was another, like, I don't who yeah. even remembers MCI? I, I mean, other do than us. Because the old. Verizon Center in DC was the MCI Center as a kid. Like that is the only reason I still vividly remember it. So unfortunately, the song when you listen to it doesn't feel that fresh, but the video itself is well, we'll talk about it. So Bugaboo was directed by Darren Grant. He's directed a lot of their music videos, like Bills, 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 No, 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 which I just realized that I put two three one words all next to each other and also survivor since you had mentioned it and he's also directed a bunch of other ones as well but those are the three that i had written down it was released in july of 99 and this would also be the last music video to feature former members latavia robertson and latoya luckett the song itself was written by the group along with candy burris which i always have to give a shout out to my girl candy for their second album writings on the wall ominous the song samples the intro and i thought you would love this it samples the intro of Toto's Child's Anthem. Wait, do really? you know this song? I yes, don't. If you listen to it, it's it's, it's a da 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 And they have like a bass line that is like... That is Toto originally, but they like, they, you know, chopped and screwed it. Well, not exactly. My Yacht but, Rock you know, favorites. They, oh, amazing. I just thought it was super funny because I was like, how close did they sample this? And I was like, wow, this is like bootylicious shit sampling it's about the same sort of manipulation to yeah. the track it wasn't a chart hit but the video was extremely popular on trl and 106 in park which explains why i don't recall it being on the radio that much but i remember this video very vividly it's a very no frills music video it takes place mostly on melrose avenue which is a shopping street in la where a series of men in cars are quote-unquote bugging aka catcalling them from their convertibles and various things, like as they're walking down the street, just trying to shop and have a good time. At one point, they're trying to avoid everybody's attentions and they duck into a locker room that they don't realize is a men's locker room. So they see a lot of like super hot, half naked men getting dressed or are about to hit the showers or have recently come out of the shower. And then we see 
a young Kobe Bryant, which I had totally forgotten. He I makes a cameo. Too. Oh, he's a little oh. bit of a bummer, but he's like a little baby faced Kobe is getting ready for like a Laker game because they have his jersey draped over his open locker door. Yeah. But you sort of you can push that sadness aside because it the video goes into like weird sort of like what kind of territory where the girls start, you know, trying to find their way out of the locker room and they find a rack, a rack all by itself, a clothing rack. It has four skimpy gold outfits that just so happen to fit all of them. And then when they exit the doors of the locker room, they are greeted by Wyclef, who is apparently a drum major at UCLA now because he's all dressed up as a drum major for UCLA and is joined by the UCLA marching band. And so they do like a cute little dance break. And that's really fun. And then what's up? I have a question. Were the costumes designed by Tina Knowles? Yes. You know, it's House of Dayron, right? Oh, it House of Dayron. House of Darion. Darion, right? Darion. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes, something yes. like that. Because Darian Either jeans way, and you, single ladies. Yes, 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 yes. So, girl, you know those gold outfits were designed of by course. Tina. You know of they course. were hand sewn. Of course. <laughs> this is still early on, so yeah. it's not like they had budget. I mean, the concept of the music video is you're shopping on Melrose. So it's not like this is not Busta Rhymes, what's it going to be? <laughs> no. This is not your Mariah Carey heartbreaker. This is like we have – $3,000, what can you make <laughs> kind of vibes? <laughs> well, I can get you the UCLA marching band. Anyway, the final shots of the music video show the group eventually getting fed up with the guys who are hollering at them and getting in their car, which as a preteen, I'd always found the ending of the music video to be kind of confusing because I was like, well, don't you want to not get with those guys? And then I'd, I personally had always chalked it up at like, oh, maybe they're their boyfriends and like, they're hassling them to like not take as long shopping. It was just sort of like a confusing music video. But luckily, and you can tell from this one, that Beyonce is sort of like the star. She has the most screen time. She's the most charismatic. She's got a fucking cowboy hat on and is walking down Melrose with a lot of confidence. So you could kind of tell. And you also felt like you could see... Maybe this is me projecting, obviously, now watching the music video with hindsight, but you could kind of see like the fissures of how the group was divided into Latoya, Latavia, and then Kelly and Beyonce on the other side, because I felt like there were a lot of shots where they were kind of together, but separated. Fun little fact, there was a rumor in when this music video came out when I was in middle school that they had shot part of the music video, specifically the marching band part, on the football field of the high school that I would eventually go to attend. That was never proven or disproven in my notes. I have written citation needed. I just remember it being a rumor because kids love to fucking lie. There were lots of like arbitrary lies like that. I love those kinds of of, urban legends that like don't they don't hurt anyone. No one got killed. But it's just something funny of like, oh, yeah, once upon a time, like the one for me, I think was there was a neighborhood of small houses near where I grew up. And people said that they were the houses where the little people who had been the munchkins in the Wizard of Oz lived once they retired, which was not true. What? Yes. Oh, yes. I, would, I would go on believing that for ages. <laughs> I think because it was Burbank and there's always sort of, you know, a 48% chance it's true. And because our middle school did share like a weird fence line with like a janky recording studio where like some of us had met 311 that there was always like a small chance that it could be true and so that's why everyone's like ooh, like is it is it not i mean it just looks like a football field you don't fucking know 
<laughs> anyway, the other fun fact from this music video is Beyonce's gold two-piece outfit from the shoot is displayed at the Hard Rock Cafe in San Francisco. And then I had to Google because I was like, Hard Rock Cafes don't exist anymore. Well, I was wrong. They it, might be temporarily closed because of COVID, but it is on Pier 39. I didn't know that. I was not aware. Huh. I don't go to Pier th- – I mean, well, we live here. We don't go to Pier 39. We don't, but, I, I go yeah. once a year when someone visits me to go see the sea lions, and then we get the fuck out. That's like – that's pretty much it. See the sea lions, but like I couldn't tell you – there's Bubba Gum Oh, for sure. There, yeah, right? that's but all I could tell that, you. I, I, where it, is it exactly? I cannot in my mental roadmap cannot conjure up where it is, but it's there. And that's all I have for Bugaboo. Well, I have a short one as well. Um, Ricky Martin's Live in La Vida Loca, which I think f- feeds in nicely to uh, J-Lo since uh, it was part of the Latin explosion. <laughs> Live in La Vida Loca uh, was released as a single on March 23rd, 1999 from v- Ricky Martin's self-titled debut English language album. Um, obviously, he was a huge star in the Latin world, both as a um, – soap opera star and then had been a part of the Puerto Rican boy band Menudo uh, in the 80s. So this was kind of his first big English language debut. The song was written by Desmond Child and Draco Rosa. Desmond Child, of course, wrote so many hit songs in the 90s and 2000s for so many different pop stars. Um, I think Whitney Houston comes to mind for me. Um, I think uh, there, I remember he wrote a song for Hanson at one point, um, was for Cher, uh, just like the list goes on and on. Obviously, La Vida Loca in Spanish for The Crazy Life. Um, This was a big part of the Latin pop explosion uh, that followed and made the transition of a lot of other Spanish-speaking artists like Enrique Iglesias, Mark Anthony, and then later it would be Shakira, Paulina Rubio, and Talia um, into the English-speaking market. The first kind of time people had seen Ricky Martin on TV was when he performed The Cup of Life or La Copa de la Vida um, at the Grammys, which was the official song of the World Cup, um, France 98. And uh, that was kind of the point at which he got on people's radar. And then the single itself for Live in La Vida Loca would go on to sell 8 million copies. And the music video was who was directed by Wayne Isham and starred Croatian model Nina Morik um, and then received six nominations at the 1999 MTV Music Award, Video Music Awards. The plot of this movie or <laughs> the plot of this music video um, sort of. <laughs> Starts out with an out-of-control car veering into a fire hydrant. We're like, okay, what's going on here? Cut to Ricky Martin performing in a club with his band where everyone knows a choreographed dance routine that's part Latin fusion, part 60s go-go. Throughout this video, we go from club performing Ricky Martin to Ricky Martin hanging out with a lady, that Croatian model, at different locations around New York and potentially LA, where they're making out in what looks like a subway stop, then a fire escape, and then there's later a scene where she's pouring hot wax on him from a candle, and then they're dancing in the street. Some of those scenes- Oh my God, the candle stuff, especially, sorry, because of, you know, my, especially at the time, my interest in- being a witch and Wiccan shit. I was like, ooh, like, Black is Ricky Martin like into witchcraft? <laughs> I'm super into it. I'm like, that's hot. Like, you do that. But yeah, you're right. This, this music video, the plot is, I'm Ricky Martin and I have abs. Like, that I is know, the plot. That's pretty much it. Yeah, it's, in hindsight, it's funny because I believe, obviously, Ricky Martin we know is gay. Desmond Chad, I believe, is gay as well. So it's kind of funny that you had this idea of Ricky Martin being into witchcraft and witches. 
Um, but at one point there's throughout the video, the other times where he's with this like model lady, she's uh, in a convertible with him and giving him like this sexy lap car dance, kind of like what Madonna does to Austin Powers in Beautiful Stranger, which was consequently directed by Brett Ratner. Um, but seriously, the woman is not wearing a seatbelt and I'm concerned because she's in a convertible and just giving him this weird lap dance. This seems like someone might get hurt. Anyway, uh, one scene goes from a close up of Ricky Martin's eye into a segment of several dancers taking their shirts off and performing a choreographed dance while it rains while he sings she make you take your clothes off and go dancing in the rain anyway this this video doesn't really have much of a plot except for towards the end of the video the sexy convertible lap dances become even more distracting than before to the point where ricky martin is driving in the convertible like in i know what you did last summer and causes another car to (laughs) veer and hit a fire hydrant hence the first scene in the music video to bring it all back it's like a creative writing 101 student wrote the plot of this music video and just captured that one thing where you Stop have to bring it full this video circle. has a plot emily it's this loose. music video has You're no right. plot i Stop shouldn't use that word generous it's like anniversary Save your energy in this time of corona for some <laughs> other hill to die on well that's all i have oh, to say God. about that <laughs> At the very least, they should have gotten a ticket for driving without their seatbelts. But I would love it if somehow this music video, and I know what you did last summer, existed in some sort of same cinematic universe. (laughs) Now that you bring it up, the similarities are there. (laughs) I mean, I've got the time and I will go insane anyway, so I might as well channel my inner charlie day and be like it was carol in hr so i will get to the bottom of this or i will figure or at the very least i will edit parts of ricky martin's living the vida loca into that part of i know what you did last summer okay Back to Latin Explosion in 1999, when we said things like Latin Explosion because white people refuse to acknowledge that other people exist, (laughs) you have Miss Jennifer Lopez and her extremely iconic debut of If You Had My Love. This is her debut video as a recording artist. It premiered in May of 1999 on TRL. It was directed by Paul Hunter, and it's basically the net starring J-Lo. Jokes aside, the concept is a very voyeuristic website, kind of like a big brother-like cam show called Jennifer Lopez Online. Was she the something original that, cam girl? This is I kind of go into it later on, and I think the answer is maybe. I think anybody who participated in Big Brother, the show before this music video, is the original cam girl. But Jennifer Lopez Online, I think, is actually more of um, a precursor to Instagram anything, where you get sort of these intimate looks at celebrities lives that you really shouldn't but somehow it's a part of your everyday and it's somehow normal but 1999 as i talked about before was very interested in like future being like voyeuristic and creepy in 1984 and being liquid and that was sort of like tapping in i feel like they're all sort of of a piece but the original concept was you log on to jennifer lopez online or you, you dial up internet connect and then you log on to it and then you could tune in ostensibly to different rooms in her house and see what she was up to so the music video follows a diverse audience of people who tune in to watch her apparently this concept was a collaboration but between the director and diddy who was dating j-lo at the time who came up with the idea of jennifer lopez online like i guess maybe just the name or the or the concept of like tying like a 
of futuristic voyeuristic world and then creating JLo online. Was the video did opens with a prophet? Did he just see the future? Like I I mean I argue that like give Diddy as much shit as you want, but he is a great businessman. He's an excellent he businessman. He, he might have ridden some unsavory dead coattails, but yes, he is—he's just smart. I think he's just a very smart person. So perhaps he did see the future. I—I I don't know. I'm not going to test Mr. Sirox's knowledge or power. <laughs> Just—I believe he just goes by he's love out now. now. <laughs> oh, oh, right. He's been trying to make that happen for a long time. But sir, I followed you through like three or four different name variations, and I gave up a while ago. So we. <laughs> Unless you want me to call you Puff, I'm calling you Diddy, and that's just the end of the story. But I don't know if you've seen this, but he's been doing some, like, quarantine videos where he's like, Ciroc is, like, the perfect thing to put in your coffee. And I'm just like, what the fuck? Is, no. is Diddy advocating for me to get, like, AM drunk? I mean, first of all, thank you. But also, like, I don't need the push. But, yeah, it was an extremely funny video. I believe he's, like, in a robe just being like, that's what I call, like, a Ciroc morning. He was like, yeah, no shit. You just put a bunch of Ciroc in your coffee cup. That's what an alcoholic says. I mean, if I don't become an alcoholic, then maybe I haven't done quarantine correctly. That's all I'm trying to say. Uh, all right. So this music video, it opens with CSI. I don't remember which version of CSI, but CSI's very own Adam Rodriguez. He's walking into his living room and he logs onto the site. Others, then we see log on. It's like a random call center. It's a 10-year-old girl. It's two mechanics who eventually let a car catch on fire. It's friends in a kitchen. It's literally an entire nightclub log on to Jennifer Lopez online. J-Lo naturally undergoes an impressive amount of costume changes. She wears a white bikini top with sweats, aka my summer quarantine outfit, a mirror mini dress, these Delia's like ski cargo pants with like a pleather cummerbund, a long white skirt with a fishnet overlay, just lots of whites and creams. Like she's in a Nancy Meyer movie about a woman who decides to cam, but it's like a wholesome kind of camming. (laughs) The best part of this five minute and 30 second music video is the dance break. We get to it thanks to Adam Rodriguez, who clicks on the Lopez Dance tab and then cycles through a jazz form of dance, house form of dance, and soul Latin. And so each the song changes the tempo a little bit to kind of accommodate each one. But the jazz is her dancing in the hallway, and then suddenly she's in the Delia ski pants with like the cummerbund. And I know it says house, but honestly, she's, she's doing some more like breaking b-boy stuff, which I know can kind of be incorporated into parts of house dance. But obviously, most impressively, she does Latin Soul, where it's her in the mirrored mini dress, which I believe, and I get to the quote later on from her stylist, I believe it's like another Versace dress. So that was like the beginning of their relationship together as well. Mm-hmm. There, If there is like a gross slash disappointing segment of this video that doesn't quite hold up, it's the end where the dudes that are watching her click on the quote unquote shower cam and watch her shower, which, you know, cool, 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 cool. But I suppose she was extremely used to being objectified at this stage in her career. And apparently her showering was so hot, at one point, one of the dudes who's watching it throws their entire computer into the pool and then snorkels down there to, I assume, jacket. Despite the achieving nor- 
Despite achieving notoriety as an actress, if you had my love and the release of On the Six are what helped J-Lo become a household name. Not since Vanessa Williams in 1992 had a woman successfully crossed over like that. According to our stylist at the time, Andrea Lieberman, who was also responsible for the iconic Versace dress at the 2000 Grammys, she said this music video was all about solidifying Lopez's place in the music industry. She goes on to say, it was about trying to define different aspects of the elements that would make her back then and today so unique. So trying to be timeless. She is not one person and she she is one person, but she has a depth and richness to her. Versatility can be seen throughout the video within a number of looks, beginning in Lopez, beginning with Lopez as she greets the camera in a mostly sleek white getup. And then it's a Chrome Hearts leather bikini top paired with blue tint aviators. And then she has a standout moment where she break dances. And then she gets into blue cargo pants with a pair of sneakers, which were apparently Air Max. So that's, again, trying to go for a specific kind of look. There were other pieces that were from Ralph Lauren, but really the thing that made it stand out the most was Jennifer's signature hoops. If You Had My Love is also widely regarded as her best song and best music video. And it does hold up. The, the dancing is really the best part. Oh, it's you could so tell good. that that's where like, the music video The breakdown for the song. So yes. The the song itself also is just like such a good club dance song, like a perfect mid-tempo pop R&B song. And on the sixth in general, I think is probably, for me at least, like my favorite J-Lo album that has the most, most back-to-back hits. If the music video had come out at the time, I would obviously want to talk about um, Waiting For Tonight because I think that's the... Oh. I love that music video. So it's I could talk about it all fucking day. The lasers, oh. the rhinestones. I mean, talk about so a great so making the music video episode. Iconic. But that's all I have for J-Lo's If You Had My Love, her debut, which I thought for a debut was extremely impressive. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of amazing that I, when I think of her most iconic music videos, that one comes to mind with Waiting for Tonight. And those are her first two music videos. Like, that's that's mm-hmm. pretty incredible. In terms of music videos, I really thought that when I would do Smooth by Santana featuring Rob Thomas, there would be more to talk about about the music video. But really, so much of what I found was about the song itself and just how like crazy this collaboration happened. But um, you know what? I'm just going to go into it. Where to start? Was I sick of this song at one point in my life because it was on every goddamn radio station for a solid six to nine months? Sure. Was I able to revisit this song about five years ago and realize this is a great song that belongs in the adult contemporary hall of fame if such a thing exists? Absolutely. This song was written by Ital Shure and Rob Thomas and was produced by Matt Serletic, who actually produced Matchbox 20's debut album, Yourself or Something Like You. And uh, Smooth would go on to top the Billboard Hot 100 for 12 weeks in the U.S. And it holds the interesting distinction of being the final number one hit of the 1990s and the first number one hit of the 2000s, which makes sense. It was released. It was like the summer song. Like it was released in summer 99 and just kept going and going. And then it got that extra hit um, going into the Grammys where it had like another resurgence. Yeah. Where it just like Supernatural, I think, ended up winning eight Grammys and Smooth won like album of the year, record of the year. Like it was just everything. So that song actually ends up by Billboard being called the most success, second most successful song of all time, only behind the twist by Chubby Checker, which is insane to me. But like, I forget just how big the song was. In fact, that is why I hated it for quite a long time and have only now started enjoying it again. Um, so a little background. I admire you because I don't think I could enjoy it. I, just thinking about the opening of it makes me want to scream. 
I mean, it's again, this music video, I really wish I had more to talk about. I think I'm just going to kind of go into the plot, but uh, I'll just bring up a little bit of background. So basically, the sm- the song was originally conceived by a co-writer, uh, Etal Shore, as a song called Room 17. And this was around the time that Santana like hadn't had a hit song in 15 plus years, hadn't had a hit record in 15 plus years. Like the last time he had a big record when he was at Columbia, when Clive Davis was the head of the label in the 70s with Santana, the band. Uh, at this point, he was trying to get out of his record li- uh, contract with Polygram Records. And he invites Clive Davis to a show he's doing at Radio City Music Hall And Clive Davis helps him get out of the contract and sign uh, with Arista Records, which is the record label that Clive Davis ended up founding after leaving Columbia Records. Uh, So they decide to put together this album, Supernatural, that's going to be all collaboration based because that was a big new thing trend that a lot of older artists were trying, like B.B. King had had a hit record doing that kind of thing, even though the record wasn't amazing. It just got on the radar because of all these more contemporary artists he was collaborating with. So the song was originally called Room 17, uh, and they, the guy who co-wrote it, Ital Shore, it was shot down by the A&R guy who was working on this. And he said basically that Room 17 was never going to go for Santana just because it was about like the groupie, uh, the room where the groupie was going to meet the artist after the concert, which was just like not Santana's scene. So then Rob Thomas would actually hear the song and help rewrite it uh, about his wife, Marisol Maldonado, who is actually the woman throughout this entire music video. Like this is actually Rob Thomas's, I think, then girlfriend, now wife, who plays the female lead in the music video. Um, To go into the video, I mean, it's just like it's shot in on a street in Harlem. It's like a block party situation. I think we're led to believe that her air conditioning's not working because she's got a fan going and she's sweating. Man, it's a hot one, as Rob Thomas informs us, being the weather man of our 1999 nightmares. Um, <laughs> then we have it kind of cuts to this block party where he's like performing and singing to her, kind of sexy dancing. And uh, meanwhile, they're also like, I think at a record store in between where it's like Santana, Carlos Santana playing guitar and Rob Thomas dancing with like a cowboy hat on while sitting on a counter. Like it, there's just the plot here. It's not very thick. Um, I shouldn't even use that word. I, I, I redact that word usage right there. I don't really have much else to say about this music video other than it's very sweaty. People are dancing. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I guess I'll just say that, like, of course, everyone talks about this song because it's had a second life thanks to the Internet, much like All Star by Smash Mouth, which I almost talked about on this episode, but decided we had talked about it enough throughout this entire podcast um, and the various episodes where we've touched upon it. This started around the summer of 2016 when a now-failed Kickstarter tried to raise $200,000 for a festival entirely dedicated to the song. And it was going to be called SmoothCon 2016. It raised $624. (laughs) And then there was around this time that there was a Funny or Die video starring Rob Thomas, um, which was a parody promo for a cop drama based on the song. And it was called Smooth the Series. And I have to admit, like, I'm really happy that Rob Thomas is in on the joke. Like, he doesn't take this too seriously and is very surprised by the success of the song. I He seems like a pretty decent guy. I've seen him in, like, uh, when he did guest uh, starring on, like, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia with Sinbad. He's been in a other, couple of other things. Um, he's always a funny guy. So 
ultimately good for him. He's had a really successful song. Um, I couldn't, again, hear it for about 15 years. So I can enjoy it now and appreciate it for what it is, which is just an adult contemporary classic. Don't really have much else to say. Well, Rob Thomas was also in an episode of It's Always Sunny as Sinbad's psychic, who also might be imaginary. So we know that Rob Thomas has a good sense of humor. He does. I also feel like he's one of those people that's like, I made a shitload of money with Smooth, and now I'm just going to go say bye-bye, and you'll never see my face again, I except in he, like really weird times. In weird times. I think he, you know, Matchbox 20 has done really well for themselves on the 90s revival tour circuit. Like... No complaints. You know what? Matchbox 20 in a sea of other bands where like the problematic of it all has come out in the last couple of years. Matchbox 20 never really offended anyone. They've done pretty well for themselves. Had a couple successful albums. Rob Thomas had this one. Them, big and, hit. Like, uh, them and Dave Matthews band. They just keep on keeping on. I don't you know. know. I know about- like something about short weird- white guys minding their own business. It's fine. Pretty much. <laughs> don't worry pretty about much. it. Like, I know people shit on Dave Matthews and like as a Virginian, there's like a complicated relationship where I have to appreciate him, but he's not my favorite. But like everyone I knew growing up in high school and college has seen him at least 10 times in concert. But ultimately, like what what can you do? These people are just kind of they're there. You know, I can enjoy a Matchbox. I, I will say I enjoy Matchbox 20 more than I enjoy Dave Matthews band, though. Well, when I worked with a bunch of Israelis at the first startup I worked at. They were all in love with Dave Matthews. I think every time they would come out to the San Francisco office, there was one time where they all coordinated to go and see him. They're like, you want to come? Like, absolutely not. They're like, but it's Dave Matthews. I'm like, it's Dave. Yeah. What? Yeah. What you just said. It's Dave Matthews. I'm not coming to like the sleep center in Concord to go see Dave Matthews. Have a great time. Goodbye. But they like, all of them were like, yeah, oh, he's great. I'm like, that's so weird. There are but, so know, like, many people who love a, him. This is a fantastic segue because Eminem, at his height, was always, I thought, more popular in France among my cousins who were like so desperate for like obscene rap music than I thought that he was with my group of friends. And my name is, is not the real Slim Shady. Let me tell you that much. If anything, my name is the prequel to the real slim, the real slim shady in song content and in music video content. If you really think about it, the video itself premiered on TRL, like a lot of the music videos we talked about today, in January of 1999, and was directed by Philip Atwell, who would go on to direct way more music videos for Eminem, including "Stan," "Lose Yourself," "The Real Slim Shady," and "Just Lose It." Well, yeah, it doesn't. Oh, man, doesn't everybody have a lot of opinions about Lose Yourself now? Um, the, <laughs> Dr. Dre produced the track and wanted to use a sample from Labby Safri's I Got the dot, dot, dot for the rhythm. Safri, who is openly gay, said in 2012 that he actually refused to clear the sample at first until they took out all of the sexist and homophobic lyrics. He went on to say, quote, dissing the victims of bigotry, women as bitches, homosexuals as F-words, is lazy, ri- is, is lazy writing. Concur. This the bigots, not their victims. Eventually, he relented and granted them permission to use the bass and guitar riffs that you hear on the song. During the time that the song was released, Eminem and Insane Clown Posse were also having a quote-unquote rap feud. You know, Fred Durst also has a feud with Insane Clown Posse. I love that these guys... (laughs) There's something else for you to talk about on the blog (laughs) is weird 
weird pseudo rappers having, well, Eminem's a real rapper. Fred Durst is like a pseudo, but having weird feuds with Insane Clown Posse. Anyway, the, the punchline of this joke is Insane Clown Posse parodied the song and called it Slim Anus, which is not even that funny. No, go go home and drink your Fago. God, like not a good parody at all. This music video is, as I have in my notes, lots of bit work. So much bit work. There's Monica Lewinsky bit. There's a Marilyn Manson bit. There's a there's a Mr. Rogers Neighborhood bit. There is a 1950s sitcom bit. It's just bit work. And it really just kind of reminded me about there's a, I believe it's a lyric from a J. Cole song where he talks about how rappers want to be basketball players and basketball players want to be rappers. And also rappers want to be comedians and comedians also want to be rappers. And this music video is a prime example of that. I also think this music video capitalizes on the trend of the changing different channels as a way to tie all of the bit work together because the music video starts in, I believe, a trailer park inside of a trailer where two rednecks, for lack of a better term, are watching TV and they're flipping through and they come across a show called The Marshall Mathers Show. And so they start watching it. And so he goes on to also be President Bill Clinton, Johnny Carson, a porn star. But he becomes like a dummy in a ventriloquist bit. Dr. Dre has some scenes. Eminem also pretends to be a chemistry teacher. It's a pretty inconsequential music video. I think it's definitely, as I said earlier, a prequel. It will... It shows you what Eminem's all about. Like I hearing the song, I was like, wow, yes, I remember thinking this was extremely funny when I was 11, which makes sense because this is an 11 year old's humor. I feel like that's like how revisiting Adam Sandler movies, you know, I I know we love our uh, our uncut gem wedding King. singer. But but, well, but no, there are I would a lot also of argue people. Wedding Singer is a good movie. I no Wedding Singer is great, but, but I will, I will take say, that one. I'll take that hit. No, 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 that's great. No, I will say I mean, what I'm talking about though is like revisiting Billy Madison and ha- and Happy oh, Gilmore. That these impossible. are movies that right. These are movies that we thought were hilarious when we were 11 years old because it is great 11 year old humor. Rewatching them now as adults, I might rewatch it if it's on TV for the nostalgia effect, but I wouldn't watch it at first glance as an adult now and be like, man, this is a hilarious movie. But even if you turn on those, and similar to this music video too, even if you did turn it on, I would assume because I did it too, you just would go on and do something else like look at your phone or open a different tab. And that's sort of what I did like a little bit through this music video because it was like, oh, right. I remember this. It's not really that interesting. It really is a ramp up to the real Slim Shady, which is a technically more interesting music video, even if the lyrics haven't improved and are more misogynistic and homophobic because a condition of having this song released was to make it less so. And the most interesting thing about the song is that this was the one that caused his mom to sue him because he said that she like does a lot of drugs and she said that that had hurt her image. So I remember there was a lot of like mom drama. There's a lot of stuff that I am not, I wouldn't say not equipped, but I'm unwilling to examine about Eminem's early career that I don't feel like we have the space or energy to investigate on this podcast. Fair enough. So that was my last music video. It wasn't very long, but for the purposes of thinking about Eminem's career, I think it is obviously the one that you think about as like the first music video that made you sit up and be like, oh, right, Eminem, like he's a a good rapper for 99. Well, he's still a good rapper. The content of his song is a little bit like, meh, but it was like the first one to make you notice him. No, I would totally agree. And that's really so that that first album, the Slim Shitty LP, I think had a few hit it had a couple of other singles like Role Model and Guilty Conscience. But really, I feel like that was the one video from that album that got a ton of airplay. Yes, it did. I think it was extremely popular. 
on um I almost said SNL on TRL at the time because it was a nice break from all of the other like kind of pop stuff that was taking over boy bands because a lot of the more popular music videos are about artists that we've already talked about like a Christina Aguilera or a Backstreet Boys had so many music videos on so at many. the time yeah sync Britney and so people are kind of desperate for something that or not people but like tweens who would call into the show or kind of dying for something that was a little bit subversive and Eminem was extremely subversive for the time. Would agree. So if you want to hear more of our thoughts on music videos from 1999, make sure you log on to Medium and follow us on the Old Millennials Pod. We have a lot of supporting content going on up there in support of our season three. So we hope you give it a read. You Please can check it also out. Find us, you can also find us elsewhere on social media, on Instagram, at the Old Millennials Pod. And on Facebook at Old Millennials Pod. Right? Those the, are all the good ones. The, the Old Millennials Pod. For Facebook too? Yeah. Okay. So Facebook and Instagram, find us at the Old Millennials Pod. On Medium, find us at Old Millennials Pod and read that content. And also leave a review and give us a rating because that's the easiest way to help us out during a pandemic because we don't ask you for money. So that'd be great if you could do that. And you can also follow us on Twitter. I am at Marg She Wrote. And I'm at Emily A. Bijan. And until the next time, bye. Bye. Stay safe and stay home. Yes. Wash your hands. Wash your fucking hands. And wipe down your doorknobs and surfaces. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's This has been an old millennial PSA. Okay. Bye for real now. Yeah. Bye-bye. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E. 
E-D-E-R-M.com.